Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Welcome back, church. It is Sunday, June the 7th, and this is episode 22 of House to House. Today we're going to head back to Ephesians chapter 6, there in verse 10, and as we're there, we're going to begin to delve into a subject that will take us a few weeks to talk about, and that's the subject of spiritual warfare. Now, depending on your background, your experience, what you've been taught, uh, you may have all kinds of beliefs about spiritual warfare. Some I talk to, um, they see a demon behind every bush. Everything is about spiritual warfare, which can be an extreme too far this way. Uh, others are like, that, you know, that's, it does, that's not really, that's more medieval mythology, uh, which is not correct either. Both of those are extremes. So we want to see what the scripture has to say. By the way, the scripture talks a lot about warfare, about spiritual warfare. As a matter of fact, it's that, that theme begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and continues all the way through the book of Revelation and everywhere in between. And so spiritual warfare is not an isolated concept. It is a consistent all through scripture, both Old and New Testament. And we'll see that more in the weeks to come. I want to read you something by Oswald Chambers. I really love Oswald Chambers. Yeah, he's going to be with the Lord now. He's probably most famous for his devotional, uh, My Utmost for His Highest. Uh, but he has quite a few books. Actually, he wrote none of them. His wife took shorthand, and she would do shorthand of his messages. And when he passed away, he passed away at 42. When he passed away, she printed all of his books. And so they really were done by his wife, but they're his messages. I love this. Oswald says, For eons, a cosmic battle has raged between God and his former angel Lucifer, or Satan. It is a battle for worshipers. One doesn't decide whether or not to do spiritual warfare. We were all born on a spiritual battlefield. The war rages around us incessantly, and we were born POWs, that's prisoners of war. Charles Finney was familiar with this war. A friend of his tells about a man who came to Mr. Finney, and he said, I don't believe in the existence of the devil. Don't you, said Finney? Well, you resist him for a while, and you'll believe in him. It is, my, it is by being born again that we are rescued, recruited, and released to fight our former oppressor. Paul taught the Ephesians in, ver, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul lays this even in the beginning of the book of Ephesians. It continues on now in chapter 6. We're in the end of Ephesians. He's talking about this idea of spiritual warfare. We're going to delve into this more and more both today and in the weeks ahead. And I trust that God's going to make it beneficial both to you and to me as we're in this fight. And so, Lord, that's what we ask right now. Help us. Give us greater revelation and understanding. Lord, give us balance so that we don't go too far one way or the other. But Lord, have us walking in your truth and utilizing that truth, who you are and what you say in our fight against the enemy and all of his schemes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back, church. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 10. And as we walk through these next few couple verses, I want to just give you some insight, some basic insight. There's a lot that we could do. We could spend weeks and weeks unpacking these verses and all the different things that are there. Um, I'm just kind of hit the highlights as we begin to go through it, give you a, a basic overview. Next week, we'll begin to dig in more into the armor, the pieces of the armor, what they look like, how do we use them in a practical way. 
But today, just begin to lay a foundation for all of that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, finally, love that with Paul. Basically, I've said all of this. And what has he said? He started in the first part of Ephesians talking about who Jesus is talking about him being the Son of God, being in the revelation of God on earth, talking about what he has done, how he came, what he has purchased for us, the redemption that we have in him. He talks about this work that he does in you and you and I that we enter into by faith in chapter 2. For by grace are we saved through faith, and not that not ourselves is a gift of God, not of works. Uh, we, we didn't do it ourselves. We get to chapter 3, and he begins to unfold this this cosmic plan, this global plan of his church and what his church, what he plans for his church to do in advancing his kingdom, not only in the realm that we see here, but he also uses his church to advance his agenda with the realm that we cannot see, an invisible realm, all of that in chapter three. And then he begin, and he continues on in chapter four and chapter five, he begins to say, what does this look like in our relationships with one another? Chapter 5, he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he goes through the, our most basic relationships of marriage, of children, and family, of work, uh, all of these different things. How does this work itself out in our day-to-day lives? He gets to chapter 6, and he says, finally, and in light of all of that that we've been talking about, I want you to understand something, that there is a battle. It's been going on for eons, as Oswald Chambers said. And it continues this day. I want you to be aware of that. Finally, brethren, be strong. I need to stop here. We read that. I read it. It says, be strong. I'm thinking, yeah, be strong. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't be strong. That's really not what this is saying. The Greek doesn't really mean you be strong. It literally would read, be strengthened. Much like it would say in Ephesians chapter 5, be filled. Keep on being filled. In other words, I'm not making myself strong. I am receiving strength. I'm not making myself full of the Holy Spirit. I'm receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm not making myself have power in spiritual warfare. I'm receiving power in spiritual warfare. That is an important, important distinction. Be strong or be strengthened in the Lord. Not in your own wisdom, not in what somebody else says, not in some other teaching. Be strengthened in the Lord. And in the strength or in the power, the word is dunamis, we get dynamite from it, in the power of his might. What is the point here? It's very simply this. Spiritual warfare is not about your strength or my strength. It's about Jesus' strength. You must understand that. You must believe that. It is not you having even the right wording, although wording can be important. It's not about you having the right teaching or the right experience or the, the right education. All those things are helpful. But this boils down to his strength against his enemy, who, by the way, has already been defeated. Satan has already been. I often think about this. The battle that we have is our battle more than it's the Lord's battle. The Lord's already won. You and I battle. We engage in this. If the Lord's fighting Satan, that's like, Mike Tyson, who was from my day, that's Mike Tyson fighting a kindergartner, all right? But when you and I have to battle Satan, that's a whole different experience. But if we do it in his strength, not in our strength, then we have his results, not our results. It's really, really important to remember this. Now look at verse 11 with me. Put on the whole armor of God. We're going to talk more about the armor next week. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The enemy has schemes. He's got plans. He's a great strategist. 
Uh, if you were playing him in some card game, he'd probably win every time. He is a really, really good strategist. You're no match for him, quite honestly. Not only is he great at what he does, not only was he the, the highest created being in heaven, but he's been doing it for a long time. He's got a lot of experience. Here's the point. It is his strength, the Lord's strength, for the spiritual warfare, but you and I must wield it. Notice what it says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand um, against the schemes of the devil. There's a putting on that you and I do, and there's a standing that we do. There's an exercise of the power that we receive. It doesn't just happen automatically. For example, I remember uh, as a young man, I'm growing in my Christian walk, and I'm growing with the Lord, and I'm struggling. There's temptations. There are attacks that, that, that come from the enemy. And, and so it's like, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord. And he does hear that. He does respond to that. But I began to learn as I walked along, there were things that the Lord would help me with, but he also would give me power to respond to that. For example, if I'm being tempted in a lustful way, and I'm saying, Lord, help me, and yet I'm continuing to feed that lust, I'm continuing in an activity that feeds it, the Lord's like, you can pray all day, but I have given you, I, I heard you, I'm empowering you, but you must wield that power. You must respond. You must take action. I think it's a mistake that we make sometimes as believers. It's like, I'm just trusting God to do it all. He does do it all, but he does it in you, and he works through you, and you must respond to that and take action based on what he does. Uh, we're not passive in all of this. We're receivers. And once we receive, then we respond to that. Now, it's really, really important. So first of all, the spiritual warfare is not about my strength. It's about his strength. But it's his strength in me that, you, that I must wield. You must wield it. You must use it. It's, it's not just something where I'm just going to lay back and let him take care of it. It'd be nice sometimes. Anyway, I just want to float. I'm going to float and let God do. He says, no floating here. All right? I'm going to fill. No floating, but I feel. I fill. And when I fill, you respond. Now, notice the next verse, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, he lays out a whole hierarchy of, of structure, if you will, in Satan's kingdom. I'm not going to go into all of that right now. I want you to focus on this one main point, what he says in the beginning of that verse. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Don't read over that too quick. Sometimes we jump right over that and we start, oh man, there are principalities and there's powers and and there's rulers here, and there's all this, and we start trying to figure all that out. And it's interesting, and, and Lord willing, depending on how he leads, we may talk about that some, what that, what that structure looks like and how it works. Um, but I don't want you to miss what I believe is probably the most important thing said in this verse, which is our enemy is not a person. I had a mentor once say, if your enemy has a social security number, you have the wrong enemy. All right? Our enemy, our enemies are not people. They may feel like they're our enemies. They may look like our enemies sometime. We may have this, this sense that they're our problem. But the scripture says that in spiritual warfare, they're simply an instrument being used by an enemy that's behind them, that's, that's influencing them in some way. This happened with Peter. You say, 
Troy, when you talk about that, are you talking about possession? Or, uh, sometimes our wording gets us all confused. We start talking about demon possession or demonic possession or influence or all these kind of things. And again, I want you to understand something. As a believer, I have been possessed by the Holy Spirit. I'm owned. I am possessed by him. But as a believer, I can also be influenced by the enemy and by demonic spirits. I can be influenced. They can give me thoughts. They can, they can prompt certain thoughts. They can cause me to believe certain things if I, if I will allow it. Um, they, they can influence my life in certain ways, especially when I allow them to. Not necessarily that I'm possessed by them, but I'm influenced by them. So when he's talking here about, and we think about Peter, Peter was doing what he thought was right. He was emphatic and he was confident he was right that Jesus was in the wrong when he says that he's going to die and he's going to leave. And Peter's like, oh no, Lord, not so. That's not the right way. That cannot be of God. I know you've, you've been in touch with the Father, but that's wrong. Jesus doesn't speak to Peter. Remember what he does? Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the spirit that was influencing Peter's thought process and the selfishness of Peter. By the way, the enemy is selfish. The Savior is always selfless. It's a good indication of when we're being influenced by the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit because the, the Savior is selfless. The enemy is always selfish. I want what is mine. I want what's best for me. All right? Your enemy, my enemy... They're not people, although it may look that way sometimes. In a practical sort of way, and this is where the, the Holy Spirit does a deeper work, is I learn to pray for people. I learn to pray for the, the influences in their life and the Spirit at work in their life. The Holy, I want the Holy Spirit at work, and I also want the enemy to be rebuked in their life and his influence to be minimized in their life. And so you pray for that. Hosea does that in the Old Testament. We praise a hedge around so that those who are influencing Gomer, who was the wife of Hosea, would lose, influence, would lose interest and leave. So he's praying against those people who are being influenced by the enemy who are causing his wife to go astray. So again, there are things that you and I can do, but recognizing the real battle is not with the person. It's with the, with the forces, the spiritual forces behind that individual. This is really, really important for us to understand, all right? We'll dive into the application of this more when we come back in just a minute. All right, welcome back. Verse 13, there in chapter 6, as we look at it, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. I want to focus on one little phrase in there. I mean, again, we could, we could break this up and go in a lot of different directions, but I want to talk for a minute about the evil day. What's the evil day? He says, we want to do all this so that we're able to stand in the evil day. And then having done all, to stand. Having put on the armor, having gone through it. And again, we'll talk about that next week, what the armor looks like. What is the evil day? Well, there could be quite a few illustrations that I could use here. I'm going to give you a couple that I've experienced in my own life and I've watched in the lives of others. These are pretty consistent when we talk about the evil day. The evil day is the day that Satan, because again, he's a great strategist, he looks for an opportunity to come at you when you're going to be most vulnerable. He did this with Jesus. As a matter of fact, 
If you read the temptation of Christ there in Matthew chapter 4, and again, I think it's in Luke chapter 4 as well. But if you read through that, at the end of the temptation, there's an interesting verse. It says that Satan left him until a more opportune time because he realized, I'm not winning right now, and I'm not going to keep fighting a battle I'm not winning. I'm going to wait for a better opportunity when I can win. He does the same thing in your life and my life. If he's not winning, he'll go away. But he's going to come back. He's looking for an opportunity when he's got the upper hand. You don't want to fight a fair fight. Satan doesn't want to fight a fair fight. He wants to fight a fight he can win. And so when is the evil day? When is that time when he thinks, I can win this one? Let me give you two examples. The first is any time that your heart is broken or you're discouraged or you're exhausted. Um, you're just wiped out. You're, you're disappointed. Your expectations have gone unfulfilled. These are perfect opportunities to become an evil day, a day where the enemy comes. We see this. Um, Elijah, he has this incredible experience on Mount Carmel where he's standing against 450 prophets of Baal and really the king and the queen and most of the nation, and he's standing there as God's representative, and he stands firm, and the whole nation sees the power of God, and all the prophets of Baal are killed there. Um, rain is coming. You can see all that. But right after that, I believe this is in First Kings or Second Kings 19. It's, one of, it's either first or second, can't remember. Chapter 19. But he goes back, and when Jezebel hears about what happened to the prophets of Baal, she sent a message to Elijah and said, I promise you, you're going to end up just like them before the day's over. You're going to be just like them. And the scripture says he was afraid. And he takes off running and he's off in the wilderness. And the next thing you see is he's like, Lord, I'm the only one left. Nobody else cares. Nobody else loves you. I'm the only good one. I might as well just die. Lord, just go ahead because I'm going to die anyway. Just let me die. Again, he was discouraged. He was afraid. There had been great victory, great triumph, followed by exhaustion and discouragement and fear. And the enemy comes in and attacks in those situations. We have Peter. Peter, we talked about him a moment ago. Jesus, no, you can't go to the cross. You can't die. You can't leave us. But all of that begins to unfold, and Peter's watching it happen. And he's, he's discouraged. And in spite of his best effort of trying to talk Jesus out of it and then to pull his sword and whack off the high priest's servant's ear, in spite of his best effort, Jesus is still headed to the cross. He's discouraged. He's overwhelmed in some ways. And the enemy comes in, and it's then that he denies even knowing the Lord. The enemy looks for opportune times. And when you're discouraged, as a matter of fact, I had a mentor in my life, and it's been very helpful. He used to say, Troy, never make major decisions when you're discouraged or weary. Um, because you never, and, and never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. That's what we tend to do. When it gets dark, everything seems wrong. And, and we question everything. So be aware, the enemy loves to attack you and those that you love. He loves to attack when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're discouraged, when our heart has been broken. I was having a conversation with someone in my family just recently, and they were wrestling with some unforgiveness and toward another. And when we went back and began to talk through it, and the tears began to flow, I realized it had started months earlier in a moment where their heart was broken. And when their heart was broken, the enemy came in and said, you know what? And began to tell these lies. And we believe those lies. So we're very susceptible then. Here's another place where the enemy loves, the evil day comes. And that's when we've been successful. When we've won. When we have great triumph and exaltation. And then the enemy says, 
Okay, now's an opportunity. Why is that? Because here's the thing. Paul lays this out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I was given this incredible revelation. I was taken up into the third heaven. I don't even know where the third heaven is, but it was an incredible experience for Paul. No one else had experienced this. He said, I saw things that nobody had seen. And and he said, "I, I can't even describe to you all that God revealed to me. But he said, in order that I wouldn't become prideful, be lifted up too high, become too full of myself, the Lord allowed me to have this thorn. As a matter of fact, Paul describes this as the messenger of Satan. That's how he describes that thorn. This messenger of Satan in my life, it keeps me dependent upon the Lord. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me humble. Be very careful. Ron Dunn used to say that the greatest hindrance to God using you and me in the future is the fact that he's used us in the past. Because we get full of ourselves. We think we did something. Pride comes in. Be very careful when you have victories, when you triumph. Because often after that, David is another case in point. David brings the ark back. After all those years, he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. He's excited. There's a great rejoicing. There's dancing. All this happens. And it says David's dancing and he uncovers himself. And his wife rebukes him and says, you made a fool of yourself in front of all the young women. And David makes that, you know, I will be even more undignified. There's even songs that have been written about that. Part of that, you, under, you appreciate David's heart, but the enemy got in in a family way. And there was some words and things exchanged between husband and wife that had impact in David's family for the rest of his life. The enemy found a, a foothold in the midst of great triumph and victory. Be alert. Be aware of these things. Because he's looking for the evil day. He's looking for the opportunity where he can come in. We're asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, make me aware of when I'm vulnerable. Maybe it's because I'm down. Maybe because my heart's broken. Maybe it's because I'm super high. High in the sense of elevated in my emotion. I want to be clear with my words. Uh, I, I, I just am so excited. I'm so elated over what God's doing or what has happened. Over victory. Over provision. Whatever it might be. And it, it, We should be joyous. We should celebrate. But be careful. These can be moments in either extreme where the enemy loves to attack. All right? I want you to take a moment, and in your group there, or if you're alone, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, are there other evil days where the enemy likes to come into my life, and would you reveal that to me right now? Just ask him. Take a few minutes and do that, and we'll be back to close in just a moment. Welcome back. As we wrap up today, I have a prompting from the Lord to share something with you, and it's simply this. Don't be afraid. Okay? Um, sometimes when we start talking about Satan and demonic forces and spiritual warfare, it can cause us to be afraid. First of all, it's like, I don't even want to believe any of that stuff or I want to ignore it. I, I want to be oblivious to it. That's not the right response. But neither to be overly consumed or afraid of it. The enemy is a defeated foe. Uh, he's a significant foe. He's a formidable foe, but he's a defeated foe. And because of that, I know who I am. I love this, um, and this wasn't really how I was going to cl- conclude this message, but anyway, we're going to go with where the Lord's leading right at the moment. I can remember times when my children were smaller, and they, something would be happening, maybe we were out for a walk, and you know, I'd say, hey, don't get too far ahead, and they'd be running away, not listening, they're out way too far, come back, they'll do it. and they're happy-go-lucky running, they're, they're the king of the world, you know, they're in charge, they're not afraid of anything. 
and then a dog comes up or a person they don't know or or in this case I'll never forget a few years ago well quite a few years ago probably a decade ago um, two uh, really big sandhill cranes and you know when sandhill cranes they start making that loud noise and they kind of get aggressive scared Andrew and Katie to death um, and so, and to be quite honest, scared me a little bit too, but I didn't let them know that. Um, but immediately when they feel that way, they come back. They may have been running way off out there, but they come back, they get up close. Um, you know, maybe even get behind and kind of grab a hold of. Why? It's like, well, because daddy's going to take care of it. Nothing's going to get through. I want you to have that picture not with your human father, not with me, but with your heavenly father. Daddy's going to take care of it. When the enemy starts being all mean and gruff and intimidating, when he wants to make you afraid, wants to make you think you're in deep trouble, you just, you're there, you move up close to the father. You stand behind. It's an interesting picture in Luke chapter 11. It's a great story. I won't read it all to you, but you can go back and read it. I think it starts in verse 18. But in Luke 11, Jesus is accused of casting out a demon by the power of Beelzebub, literally Lord of the Flies. Literally, Beelzebub was the Lord of the garbage heap. That's because there were flies always there. It was Gehenna. It was another way the Jews said Satan. So they said, he cast out demons because he's part of Satan's kingdom. And he said, if a kingdom's divided against itself, it can't stand. Then Jesus makes an incredible observation and gives us a principle. He says, if a strong man puts on the armor and guards his house, then his possessions are safe until a stronger comes. He's the stronger in that story and in every story. He's the stronger who comes. He says, when the stronger comes, he disarms him, takes away his armor, and distributes his, his, plunders his possessions. Folks, that's our king. That's the one that we serve. So as we go through this study, if the enemy comes and wants to attack you with fear, wants to make you afraid, you think, I, I don't, I don't, I'm afraid of what I can't see and what I don't understand. Again, that's a tactic of the enemy. That's an evil day. And I want you to move in close to the Father. Move in close and say, Daddy, I'm trusting you. And Jesus, I thank you because you have paid, you have defeated the foe. And Holy Spirit, thank you. You are in me. And so you're guiding me and comforting me and strengthening me for this battle that I am in. I pray that you will experience his comfort as you identify more of the spiritual battle that's happening in your life and in those that you love. And as you engage, you're not going to be exhausted or afraid or overcome because of the battle. You're going to be encouraged and strengthened and comforted because of what he does in your life. I know that's what he wants to do. God bless you. Grace and peace.